This is Salt and Spine. This cookbook is still very personal because most of the recipes in the book still relate back to a moment. That's why I love food so much is I, I feel like it's it's a timestamp almost for me. So like any really good meal or dish that I have can be related back to an experience. Hi there, I'm Brian Hogan-Stewart, and you're listening to Salt and Spine, stories behind cookbooks. You just heard from today's guest, Aisha Curry. Now, Aisha is the modern food and lifestyle mogul. Growing up obsessed with cooking, Aisha always had her eyes set on acting, but her foray later into food blogging has launched a now massive career. Her first cookbook, The Seasoned Life, cemented her status on the culinary landscape. Soon followed restaurants, television shows, a new lifestyle magazine, a new in-person store, and a lot more. And of course, philanthropy. Aisha and her husband, Golden State Warriors point guard Steph Curry, launched Eat, Learn, Play, their charity dedicated to ending childhood hunger, encouraging healthy lifestyles, and improving access to quality education. In fact, since the start of the COVID pandemic, they've now served more than 16 million meals, partnering with locally owned restaurants to keep workers employed. Aisha's built an empire, and and it was fueled by that first cookbook. And now Aisha's published her second cookbook, The Full Plate, flavor-filled recipes for families with no time and a lot to do. It's loaded with the recipes that Aisha makes today as a busy mom of three. It's fast and delicious recipes from Aisha's version of an In-N-Out burger, subbing in turkey, to sheet pan meals that range from salmon to pork. And of course, a well-tested cocktail section, too, for the parents. Now, Aisha joined us remotely from her home in the Bay Area for this week's show. Stick around. It's a great chat. And we're, of course, putting Aisha to the test in our culinary game. So let's head now to our virtual studio, where Aisha Curry joined us to talk cookbooks. Hi, Aisha. Thank you so much for joining us on Salt and Spine. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, we're thrilled to have you. (laughs) Yes, here virtually, right? Yes. (laughs) We're not, I'm in the Bay Area, so we're not too far away, but you know, pandemic keeping us us remote for the time being. So it's fun. It seems like we're inching closer to things opening back up though. So that's- I know. I'm I'm so ready. Um, Me too. But we're thrilled to have you virtually here today um, to talk about your latest cookbook, The Full Plate, which is beautiful. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> show it off. Thank you so um, much. They're like babies. You have to show them off. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to come back to, to the book in a minute, but we always like to start just by talking a little bit more about you and your life and how you sort of got to where you are today. So I know you grew up in Toronto. Can you talk a little bit about the role that food played in your life growing up? A huge role. Yeah. So I I grew up in like a big Jamaican family. So that's mm-hmm. really my culture and heritage and what I what I know, like the back of my hand. But also I have I had the benefit of growing up in a place like Toronto or Markham, where it was this big and is this big cultural melting pot of different cultures and traditions and food. So, you know, any given day I could be having Pakistani food or you know, Indian food, Northern Indian food, Chinese food, Korean, like you name it. So I was always open and well-versed in different cultures and and types of food. And I feel like it it plays a huge part in the way that I cook today and just what I know. 
So I, I feel very blessed to have been always open and around many different things. Yeah. And and I think you took an interest in not just food, but in cooking pretty early on too, right? I read yeah. that when you were 13, you threw a cooking party instead of a dance party. I did. I did. My yeah. parents were like, no laser tag. No, like you don't want to go to there's this place there called the Woody Woodchucks, which is like giant. It's like Chuck E. Cheese for preteens. Okay. Basically. Yeah. And I was like, no, I really want to cook. And honestly, I was I've, I've said this so many times, but it's the truth. I like other kids were watching cartoons. I was watching food network and Julia Childs and Emerald. And that was, that's what I grew up doing. Like in my room on the weekend yeah. after school, uh, I was always just watching and learning and indulging in like food programming. So sure. um, yeah, at a cooking party for my 13th birthday. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and I know then you moved to North Carolina when you just after that, right? You were 14, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Big culture shock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Big culture shock and, and big shift in food culture too. 100%. Yeah. yeah. I, I I would say at the time, I think, think things have expanded so much over the past 10 to 15 years, right? But at the sure. time... It really was like chicken and biscuits and gravy and mashed potatoes. And maybe you had the neighborhood Chinese spot. <laughs> like right. that right. was it. But now things are so different. But then that's really, it was a big shift for me. Yeah. <laughs> and so you were still interested in cooking, right? As, yes. as a teen, but it wasn't ever really a, it wasn't in your mind. I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but I don't think it was in your mind as a career option for quite some time, right? Like you were interested yeah. in acting when you yeah. were in your teens. I was because that's all I'd ever known. Um, and it's so interesting. People always ask like, well, why didn't you start then? It's because I didn't know it was an available option to me. So if somebody uh -huh. back then had told me, hey, you realize you could be in the food industry, I would have done that. But it's not something that I knew that I could do. Um, and, you know, now they have endless programming for kids in the food space. Um, yeah. But then that didn't really exist um, at all. So for me, if I had known, I would have 100%. And I think that plays into even now. It's like a lot of women don't know that this is a viable option for a career. I mean, I think it's only 7%. I could be wrong with my numbers, but it's in and around 7% of all executive chefs or restaurant owners are women. So yeah. I think, you know, if, if it's something I had known and had been nurtured from a young age to do, I would have done it. But everything, everything in its time and everything happens for a reason. But my goal is definitely to change those statistics while I'm here on this earth. So... Yeah, I hope we can. I mean, we've seen some promising things. I know yeah. um, the Culinary Institute of America, they had over 50% female students in the recent graduating class, I think 2019. So like there are shifts, but yeah, certainly when you look at restaurant executives and head chefs, yeah. and there's a lot of work to be done for women and, and for people of color and women of color yes. in particular too yes. in the industry. And you kind of sort of then fell into this career, right? Because you started vlogging some recipes yeah. and making some YouTube videos. Can you talk about how it went from something that you were just sort of doing, I think for fun a little bit to something mm -hmm. that really got some legs under it? Yeah, I'm I'm so grateful with the way things happen very organically. I had always cooked for my family and friends and everyone. And they'd been asking for my recipes 
time and time again. And it got to the point where I was like, you know what? My husband and I looked at each other. He's like, why don't you start a blog? So I started a blog and I started putting things up there really for our family and extended family that lived so far away. Cause at the time where we, we were the only ones that lived on the West coast and everybody okay. was East coast or Canada and beyond. Sure. And then I started to notice other people, you know, engaging in the content that I was putting out there, you know, met some people and they said, Hey, you should do video content as well. And so I segued into that world and then the career just started growing. And from there, I, I mean, it's, it feels like a whirlwind, but from there I, you know, started to have those insecurities of I'm not classically trained. So I, went and, you know, did a, a short, very short course at San Francisco cooking school. Uh-huh. Um, and that gave me a little bit of confidence and then met chef Michael Mina and he's kind of been my mentor in every sense of the word. Um, and I, there was a point when I said, Hey chef, like I really want to go <laughs> to culinary school. I think I'm going to take the time to go to culinary school. And he looked at me and he was like, no, you're not going to culinary school. <laughs> He's like, you have the best culinary school right here. And so right. really like I'm always, I'm, I'm a, a lifetime student because uh-huh. I'm always there learning everything that I need to know kind of on the job, which has been such a blessing. Um, yeah. It's very unconventional and untraditional. So. Yeah, that's interesting that you you seriously sort of thought about cooking school oh, for yeah. a while. Oh, and I now headset. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. Do you regret that you didn't do that? No, I don't because really I, I have had the best hands-on training. Um, and I I have been fortunate enough to have somebody like him to to help kind of shepherd me in the right direction. So it's been a it's been a blessing. But ten years ago, if it, if if the option had been presented to me, if I knew that it existed, it, I would have been all for it. Yeah. So how did your first cookbook come about then? The, the season life, which I know was a huge success. Um, mm-hmm. How did how did that go from your, you know, I think you started blogging in like 2014. Yeah. How did you go from blogging to like a published cookbook author? Can you talk about that process? It'd been something I'd always wanted to do. It's like, you know how you have these things logged in the back of your mind, but you just never think they're going to come to fruition. It's just, one of those like, Oh, a girl can dream. Sure. Um, and then somebody was like, no, you're, it, it can be a reality. And so really with the first cookbook, it was really family recipes and things that I'd been doing for years and something that I'd been, I, I mean, I had notes and recipes and everything kind of done and written, even if it was like sheets and scraps of paper for years so it was yeah. really about the storytelling and putting it together in a beautiful way. Um, and that experience was quite interesting because I kind of took it all into my own hands that first time around. I had a, a book manager who kind of kept me on schedule. And then I shot it with my friend Caroline. So it was like a very um, in-house situation. Sure. So it really is truly one of my babies. But that first book came very naturally. And then the second book, The Full Plate, was done in a very different way, still with the same passion and energy, but went the route of having the professional food photographer and somebody to help me a little bit with the writing, which I appreciate. And I really needed to be inspired when it came to developing the recipes. And so for me, it really is a testament to where I'm at in my life right now. Like things are busy. Things are very different than they looked 
four four years prior to this book with the seasoned life. So quick, easy, efficient, but still flavorful. Right. Yeah. Your new book, I know none of the recipes take more than an hour. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are under 30 minutes. Your first book you noted was really a lot of the recipes that you'd been cooking, sort of you'd had in your life up until that point. And now this new book is really sort of how you cook today. Do they both feel quite personal? Like, does one feel more personal than the other? Or are they just like different points in your life? Kind of? I I think they're just a reflection of different points in my life. So this, this cookbook is still very personal because most of the recipes in the book still relate back to a moment. That's why I love food so much is I, I feel like it's it's a timestamp almost for me. So like any really good meal or dish that I have can be related back to an experience. And so there's a lot of storytelling in the book, like something as simple and to some silly as like a coconut shrimp. Like it takes me back to like my husband and I, when he was in college, us going to Outback, you know, like uh-huh. so there's always like that moment that I can relate the food back to even more so than the event itself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, which is important and special to me. So I feel like it's it's still something that I get to leave for my children so they can get to know a little bit more about their mom, one day grandma. <laughs> yeah, right. Not yet. <laughs> That's you know, Your kids are young. Um, mm-hmm. But you are very big about cooking as a family and involving your kids. I mean, on that note, in the kitchen. And I know your kids tend to be adventurous eaters, too, probably because of that. Part. Yeah, okay, for the yeah. most part. Why is that important to you to have them involved in food? I Some of my best memories I have are in the kitchen with my mom and my grandma, my aunties, cooking. Um, it's I got to listen in on some of their strangest conversations growing up and sure. had some of my best conversations with them growing up, my worst conversations. But it, it always seemed to happen in the kitchen. And I feel like having those basic skills from a young age like instilled a certain confidence in me um, that I don't know if I would have had otherwise. And then just from a world standpoint from like communication and experiencing things. I feel like I've said this before, but there are studies that show that if you cook with your kids, um, they're more apt to trying new things, but they also do better in school. Um, they're more focused. They, there's a statistic that shows that, you know, preparing that meal and eating it around the table with your kid because of the communication skills, they have better grades in school and the the graduation rate is higher, which I think is so insane. Something as simple as that. Um, yeah. But yeah. So there's just a lot of also statistic based reasons why I think it's just important to cook with your kids. I'll try sure. those memories. You mentioned the um, coconut shrimp, which are, I think maybe the first or one of the first recipes in your book and and the inspiration behind that from your early data Outback Steakhouse. Can you talk about your recipe development process? Like we see in some of the head notes where the recipe comes from, either inspired by a dish like that or a family memory, but how do you approach sort of building a, a cookbook and recipes and building the recipe slate that you're going to publish. Yeah. So for me this time around, uh, lots of pieces of paper. I'm, I write things down. I'm like not a tech girl. Uh Um, So I knew I had to have like balance of veg and protein and pasta dishes and da da da. So I would have my sheets and I would 
think about these moments and then the dishes that I wanted to create. And I would kind of fill it in and see where the gaps were missing and then go back to the drawing board and figuring, figure out what it was missing and like what flavor profiles were missing. But really why I love cooking so much for me, it's about trial and error and finesse. And so that's really how everything came about. I was so fortunate to get to my sister does a lot of recipe development with me, especially for our sweet July website and magazine. Uh Um, And so with this cookbook, I was able to spend several weeks in the kitchen with my sister, just cooking like, and it, we, we hadn't been able to be in the kit. It gave her an excuse to fly out here and to be in the kitchen with me because we usually do it apart. But being able to have that time and and that bond and kind of nostalgia with her and to just cook, I think was so special. And we came up with some of the best things. Like it was so fun to ideate with her and think about like, oh, remember Saturdays when we would go to Ikea, like with her parents and we uh-huh. get the Swedish meatballs. Like how can we recreate that? And like a non-GMO fresh, <laughs> like <laughs> healthy, somewhat... More sure. Way. And so like just being able to do that with her, I think was so much fun. It, it didn't feel like work. It was just yeah. fast. So that's kind of what the process was. And we had some really great wins and some moments where stuff just didn't work. We kind of don't talk about the stuff that didn't work. Sure. Yeah. Why? But a lot of stuff did work and the family was our guinea pigs and we would test things out on everybody. People would just show up because they knew we were in the testing process. <laughs> right. So it was great. Yeah, that, that's a fun time. That's, that's yeah. a good era of book development. Wouldn't trade it for the world. Now, is your sister a breakfast person? Because I know you're not an elaborate breakfast person and no. there's no breakfast recipes in the book. No. Which was intentional. We're not breakfast people. My, yeah. my Now, my kids are. My kids love breakfast and my husband loves breakfast because he needs it he needs the fuel Uh but for me I think the way that I find some sort of balance like great balance is I intermittent fast a lot okay I'm not a breakfast girl I'm all about the savory sweet mix and so dinner is just it's just my jam dinner lunch like I'm all about hearty food yeah. So I think the intermittent fast in the morning helps me. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be right back with the second part of our conversation with Aisha Curry. Don't go anywhere. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram at Salt and Spine. This week, you'll find a chance to win your own copy of Aisha's The Full Plate. Plus, you can find two recipes from the book, the pancake battered coconut shrimp and Aisha's recipe for pineapple chicken fried rice. We love sitting down with another of your and my favorite cookbook authors each week to tell the stories behind cookbooks. From Jacques Pepin and Nigella Lawson to Samin Nostrat and Carla Hall to today's guest, Aisha Curry, Salt and Spine is the leading podcast featuring interviews with your favorite authors. Plus, we publish delicious and exclusive recipes, hold cookbook giveaways for listeners like you, and so much more. And we can only do it thanks to listeners like you. You can join the Salt and Spine community today and support our effort to bring you top-notch interviews and the best cookbook content starting at just $2 a month. Find out more and join the Salt and Spine community at patreon.com backslash salt and spine. And now back to our conversation with Aisha Curry, author of The Full Plate. You mentioned Sweet July, which is your new magazine and brand and 
that's just like one element of your busy, busy life, right? I mean, you have your international smoke restaurants, yeah. you have your new store in Uptown Oakland, you're involved in philanthropic causes, and you have your Eat, Learn, Play initiative. Can you talk about like how much of that was intentional? How much of that did you sort of set out to do? And how much of that sort of evolved as you were building this lifestyle brand, essentially? I, everything sort of evolves. I'm an ideator and I have big thoughts and then Uh those thoughts get put into execution. And then it's not until someone like you comes along and then lists it out. And I'm like, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot going on, but I Uh enjoy everything I do so much. I really get joy like from working and, I lucked out that I get to do what I love every single day. So it doesn't necessarily feel like work. I mean, days are exhausting, but I really enjoy food and speaking about food and, you know, giving back to my community. And so I just enjoy most days, (laughs) every second of it. But with the restaurant, so the restaurant, the intention was chef and I loved cooking together for the Super Bowl. Okay. And so that at the time he had this concept kitchen called Mina test kitchen. And he said, we do three month long pop-ups. He was like, let's do a concept together and have a pop-up. He was like, you'll know within five minutes of being on the line in the kitchen. If this is where you're supposed to be, if you enjoy it, like you'll know high intensity. So yeah. we started conceptualizing and, you know, my whole message is to get people around the table and eating together and communicating. And so we said, what's more family than a barbecue? (laughs) Like anywhere you go around the world, people have their version of grilling. Um, And so we said, let's feature that on one menu. So it's like people are going around the globe without ever having used their passport. And so we conceptualized the pop pop up, built out the menu, then launched the tickets. And like within 15 minutes, we were sold out for the three months. (laughs) And yeah. it, the pop-up ended r- up running for eight months, I think. And then we were like, okay, th- we need to build this out for real. And uh-huh. so that's really how International Smoke was born and became like a permanent restaurant. Fingers crossed, pandemic. Um, yeah. But it's been a wonderful experience. It's been, a, it's been a definitely a learning experience. And I would say the past year has been kind of painful, but still rewarding because we've been able to give back to the community and the community has given back to us. So with the restaurant, it's been a wonderful full experience. So that's, that's, that's been purposeful cookbooks, purposeful. And then sweet July is like my baby and it's me building out products and things, places where I see white space that needs to be filled of things that I want in my own home. And I get to build out. It, It sounds very Marie Kondo, but like things that bring me joy And so that's sweet July. It's being able to have these little things and moments that bring joy to be able to tell other people's stories that may have otherwise never been told. Um, And then the magazine was just a blessing that came along that was able to help amplify that message. So yeah, I guess in a sense, yes, it's all purposeful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's all purposeful and intentional, but it all evolves at the same time. Yeah. With Sweet July, I read recently that you found a letter you wrote in middle school. I don't know if this was to yourself or to someone else, but sort of outlining some of your dreams. Like you said, you wanted to become Miss America. You wanted to find a cure for lung cancer. 
and that you wanted to create safe How did spaces. You find that it was. <laughs> I, I was doing some research. It was a, a <laughs> reference to another article. I definitely didn't find the letter itself, right? Like yeah. that's, that's not out there. But can you talk about how that sort of translates to Sweet July? Because you noted that it, it does in that sense that you're you're creating in some senses a safe space, like in the food and lifestyle publication and media world, like what do you hope Sweet July achieves? And what, what do you hope it fills? Yeah, for me, I feel like a, a lot of the things on that list really did in a sense come to fruition in a way because I'm still, I'm able to have impact in my community. Um, yeah. And the, the magazine helps with that and being able to tell my story in the way that I want it to be told and also to tell other people's stories. So we really focus with the magazine on people often want to tell big stories, big business. We really enjoy telling the little person's stories, like small business, community impact. Um, and we take pride in that and being a platform that, you know, gets to spread stories and messages and inspirations of the everyday person. And I feel really honored to be able to do that. And also representation, um, especially in this social climate right now, we all know that representation matters. My team let me know that I was, I'm the third black woman to ever have a mass publication and wow. to, yeah, to have the privilege and the honor to do that, I think is so special for me. And I just hope I'm doing it justice, but it also made me realize that there's, there is space to take up and to fill and that it's so important for young women and boys like me to be able to see a bit of themselves um, in a positive light. And so I really take it very seriously and it's just an honor for me to be able to to be the one to do it. So yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, ab- absolutely. It's That's really important. And um, the magazine's wonderful. Yeah. Um, we're a show on cookbooks, obviously. So we always like to ask folks a little bit about what cookbooks mean to you. Do you use cookbooks often? Are there ones that have been really important to you or authors that have been important to you as you've become a, an author yourself? Yeah, so I would say me personally, I don't I don't use cookbooks that often just because uh-huh. I'm always trying to create something new. But there have been moments when there's a certain type of food I want to make that I'll reference one of my favorite cookbooks. So like I made, oh gosh, see, I'm going to butcher it. I made this delicious boar ragu okay. one day. Um, I can't remember the, it's Italian. Um, uh-huh. But it's from Rachel Ray's latest cookbook, the cookbook that she put out for her 50th right. uh, birthday. And it's just amazing. And it took me hours to make. And it was delicious and rich and hearty and just ah uh, soul warming. And I've always gravitated towards Rachel Ray's recipes, just because even though some take a little bit of time, especially with this latest cookbook, they're they're always worth it. And they're always accessible, but flavor forward. And I just love her storytelling. So I'm always going to to hers. For breakfast, Uh (laughs) I love to lean on the Magnolia series of cookbooks. So uh, Joanna Gaines, she has a great pancake recipe Uh that I'm always going towards. And then lately, I've been on a little bit of a health kick. And been doing the whole gluten-free, I've had to go dairy-free because my son, for the most part, needs to be. 
Um, and, and so I've turned to Daniel Walker's cookbooks um, yeah. a lot. And she's actually a friend of mine that I've been following along with for years, but was never, I was never grain-free or dairy-free or gluten-free, but I always just gravitated towards her energy. And I just think she's so lovely. But now I am using her cookbooks. So I would say those three, I really turn to a lot. I would say they're, they're the dirtiest in my kitchen uh, outside yeah. of my own. Right. Right. Which, yeah. You know, that's a good sign of a dirty cookbook. Yeah. It's been well used. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we always end with little games. So I Fun. thought we would, I think you love a good game show as much as the next person and I do. You know, host of family food fight on ABC. I thought we would yeah. maybe do a little twist on that. Huh? So we have some cards here that we like oh my to God, use. I'm so nervous. Okay. Oh, this this will be fine. You'll you'll be great. So we're gonna pretend. You can kind of think of this as like a chopped, right? So we have four types oh. of cards: vegetables. Dream of mine to be unchopped. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, this is a practice round. Then we'll think of it that way. So we have vegetables. We have proteins. Self-explanatory. Okay. We have flavors, which are like herbs and spices. Okay. Um, and then we have a secret ingredient deck, which is sometimes can be really obscure ingredients, or it can okay. just be kind of a random thing. So okay. we'll do a couple quick rounds. And I'm on the fam- family food fight theme. I'm going to tell you a family member of yours who you're making dinner for. Okay. And then we'll see what you have to work with and tell okay. us what you might make for them. How does that sound? Sounds great. I just hope I don't get like century egg or something. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> There's a gummy bear card in here that people oh, wow. never okay. want to get, but okay. all right, let's see. So you have bell peppers for your vegetable. Great. First protein is beans. Okay. Your first flavor is cilantro. Great. And your secret ingredient is white truffle butter. And let's pretend your parents are coming for dinner, your mom and your dad, either your mom and your dad or your mom or your dad um, is coming for dinner. What would you make with this in your basket? So I'm definitely going to do some sort of, uh, let's go Moroccan style bean stew. Okay. We could go Mexican style bean stew really chunky hearty some smoke smoke paprika in there uh-huh. um obviously i have to use the white truffle butter so maybe okay so the white truffle butter is going on some side rolls okay yeah okay? so that's uh-huh. what we're doing with that okay <laughs> yep okay but we're making the bean stew then we're stuffing the bell pepper topping it with like a cheesy crusty crumble cooking it off in the oven, garnishing with cilantro. That sounds like a little stew bowl that you can like eat the bell pepper at the end. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That sounds delicious. And I I think that was a a good call to put the white truffle butter uh, on some bread on on the side. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's say it's, it's just you and Steph. The kids are in bed for the night, a date night at home. You have cauliflower. Okay. You have lemon. Okay. Your protein is ground beef. Okay. And your secret ingredient is pumpkin. Ooh, that's a tough one. Oh, interesting. Oh, ground beef, lemon. Okay. We are going to make a... You know what? You can make a yummy bolognese with... If you puree the pumpkin into your tomato sauce... It'll actually make it a little creamy and a little bit heartier. Um, 
And so we'll do like a ground beef bolognese with the pumpkin pureed into the tomato sauce. And because of that, we'll add in like a little bit of cinnamon, almost like you would with a lamb ragu. Because we have the ground beef to work with. That's what we're working with. So a little bit of cinnamon, a little bit of sugar to cut the acidity of the tomatoes. Don't at Uh me. Um, (laughs) Some fresh pasta. And then the cauliflower, I guess we'll just roast the cauliflower, maybe with some, since the ragu, the bolognese is a little bit on the sweeter side. And then with the pumpkin in it, we can roast the cauliflower with some, maybe with some golden raisins Mm -hmm. and lemon, salt, pepper, and then do it over um, like a bed of arugula. So it's almost like a roast cauliflower salad with that pumpkin tomato bolognese yeah that sounds amazing i love that one yay final (laughs) one last one so i know this is not family but i know you cooked on instagram with kamala before the election so let's pretend kamala Ah! vice president harris is coming over for dinner and here's what you have to to work with okay for her all right we have corn as our vegetable okay our flavor is mustard. Mm. Our protein is shrimp. And our secret ingredient is sriracha. Oh, I know. It's taco night. Oh, so, yeah. Or like fajitas. So we uh-huh. can use some shrimp tacos. I'll grill. I'll put a little bit of, is it ground mustard? It looks like ground mustard. Uh, it looks like it's either ground. It looks either coarse or like maybe dried. I think so, it's it's open to interpretation, whatever mustard you want to use. So we, we can use whole grain mustard with a little bit of lemon, maple syrup, olive oil. Almost you make it like a dressing and I'll marinate the shrimp in that. And then really like really flash saute it. So it gets like almost a nice crusty, sweet, salty, tangy char. And then we'll grill the corn so we have nice roast corn. We can do a little bit of a sriracha mayo mixture to drizzle on top of the shrimp and the corn. And then we'll have all the fixins like some shredded cabbage, little cotija cheese. Uh (laughs) (laughs) And we'll just do a taco night. Yeah. Sounds great. And knowing Vice President Harris, she'd probably be cooking with you too. So you wouldn't be alone. Margaritas. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, this was so much fun. Aisha, thank you so much for joining us. I had a blast. I had a blast. That was fun. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find bonus content from today's show and all of our episodes on our website, saltandspine.com. There, you'll find two recipes from Aisha Curry's The Full Plate. Remember, if you like hearing from your favorite authors on Salt and Spine, and I hope you do, please click subscribe wherever you're listening. You can also leave us a rating on iTunes and join the Salt and Spine community to support our show at patreon.com. Our show today was produced by me, Brian Hogan-Stewart. Our kitchen correspondent is Sarah Varney. The Salt and Spine original theme song was created by Brunch for Lunch. Salt and Spine is typically recorded at the Civic Kitchen in San Francisco's Mission District. The Civic Kitchen is now offering digital classes for home cooks. Find out more at civickitchensf.com. Thanks, as always, to Jen Nurse, Chris Bonomo, and the Civic Kitchen team, to Edible San Francisco, to Celia Sack at Omnivore Books, and to Monique at Hardcover Cook. 
We'll be back next week with more stories behind the cookbooks you love. Thank you.